The first reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, which I think is on page 977 of the Church Bibles. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And our second reading is um, just a few pages back in uh, Matthew's Gospel, so that's page 816, 816. And that's Matthew 11, page 816, Matthew chapter 11, and uh, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here, that's a copy. Thanks very much for having me, everybody. This is a joy to be here. Our church did a systematic series of four on mental health and the gospel, not quite mental health in the church, um, and the last sermon uh, was this one, um, adapted a little bit, on how we care for one another. So that's what I call it, caring for one another. I'm going to pray again. Father in heaven, your care for us exemplified in sending Jesus and his gentle, humble sacrifice is the model we want to see clearly. And we pray we would be reflecting him in the way we care for one another increasingly. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible defines a human being as an embodied heart or soul. Just by way of introduction, I'd like to describe that for a bit, because this goes over um, the early part of our series. The Bible talks about the heart of a person being the inner me. It's the engine centre of our desires, our emotions and our actions. It's with our hearts that we can choose to worship God or not. It's not surprising the Bible says, guard your hearts above all things. What about our bodies, though? It's with our bodies that we run and jump and laugh and talk and feel, as well as get hurt, feel sick, get old and die. Vitally important to understand, not least when it comes to mental health, is that our hearts and bodies are inseparably linked. We are embodied hearts. How my body is affects my heart, and how my heart is affects my body. That is every human being who's ever lived. That's the red and the yellow. 
Then Christians exist in churches. Bodies uh, is the metaphor with parts, people with different gifts and skills and experiences and strengths and weaknesses that God has put together just as he wants. Churches themselves exist in the world which is mostly hostile to God. Both our church and our culture of the world around us influence us to varying degrees, but ultimately, wrapped around everything, is God overall. So here's a picture that simply describes what I've said, that one there, uh, see. I live in a creation under my heavenly Father God, and we mustn't forget that Jesus Christ was God in human form, just like mine, and if I'm a Christian... I have God the Holy Spirit present with me always. So hold on to that sense of us being embodied hearts or souls. What then are some general things that we can see that God is calling his people to when it comes to mental well-being and ill health? Well, they aren't very different from the things God is calling all of us to when we see anyone among us suffering in any way. And some of them can be gleaned quickly from this brief passage in Ephesians 4, 1-6, which is primarily about the body of believers being united. Paul has already explained the gospel in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. He said it's by grace that we've been saved, by faith, and this not from yourselves, it's a gift. So no boasting. And what is that gift? It is being freed from the penalty of all our sin, and clothed afresh with the garments that means God sees us right now as perfect. So having said the gospel in Ephesians, so what? Well, Paul is writing from prison, a physical one, not a mental one, but there are parallels, and he's able to say from the midst of a very dark circumstance, Ephesians 4, verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. That's my old NIV. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Live a life worthy. What does he mean? Those are the headings of the three headings I'm going to work through. He means the gospel. Live a life worthy of the gospel. If he can remember the gospel from behind bars, he's saying, will you not also treasure more than anything else the gospel that you have received? And live hopefully in the light of it. That is a worthy life. From whichever dark place God has allowed you to be in, will you live out who you are? From deep depression, where life feels like very small steps tiredly taken through very thick treacle over very long days. And Paul says, yes, you can live a life worthy of the calling there. From a life that feels so full of danger that you're endlessly on edge, feeling panicky and craving safety almost every minute of every day. Yes, you can live a life worthy of your calling there too. From longing to be free of whatever thorn it is in your side. Well, Paul had very personal experience of that. It is possible to live a life worthy of the calling you've received even then. So today, with whatever is casting the shadow of prison bars on you, you can live a life worthy of the calling, the gospel. Okay, how? What matters most, Paul? If this church, this strange body that God has brought together with all its bit parts, some strong, many weak, 
if we're to function worthy of that calling, what are your key action points for us? Well, look at verse 2. And I'm going to spend most of this talk on just these two words. Be completely humble and gentle. With all humility and gentleness. With patience, bear with one another in love. Humility is what Christ showed when he became nothing, taking the place of a servant, humbling himself even to death for sinners like you and me. And he did that not to impress, he did it to save. And his humility is now our example. So, will you come down off any pedestal you're on, whether that be of striving to live strongly, confidently, healthily, beautifully, wealthily, Will you come down off that place and admit you're all, we're all down in the dirt, desperately in need of help? Will you come down of your own will, is Paul's encouragement. Choose to be completely humble with all humility. Okay, what does that look like? Humility simply acknowledges our many sins and responds with, I need Jesus. And I need my church family, other people. Now it'll include trust in God's control, confidence in his forgiveness and love, and an openness that comes from not having to be anyone, but from resting in whom Jesus has made you. One way to put humility to work is to ask someone to pray for you. Do you do that? Is that a habit you have? God has established his kingdom on earth in such a way that we must ask for help. We ask the Lord for help and we'll ask other people. Until we see him face to face, God has set it up that help comes through his spirit and through other people. Consider Psalm 62 verse 8. Have you got that? Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. There is the exhortation we need. It's an exhortation to pray, to pour your heart, the inner you, out to God. And yet praying is still a habit that doesn't come easily. What's in the way? So often it's pride. It's hard to go into your room and close the door and take the time to set out before God what is on your heart, to pour out your heart to him. Have you done that? Is that a habit you have? what it feels like to hurt like we do, and to say to the Lord, please help. And if you find that hard, it's no surprise that you'll likely find it harder still to ask others for help. Our pride resists being vulnerable, and if ever we've confided in someone and received comments that were hurtful or less than supportive, we may have turned even more inward in self-protection. Well, be completely humble. And here's what it might look like to ask for prayer. This is a practical sort of three-step process. I don't know if it'll work for you, but why not try this? I'm in trouble. I'm hurting. Or someone you know is in trouble and is hurting. One, identify that trouble. Try and write down uh, what that list is of the things that are troubling you. It may be under the heading of money or work or relationships or health or just how to live for Jesus in a pressured world. List the trouble, one. 
two, try connecting that trouble with Scripture. What has God said in his word that has anything to do with my trouble? Where has somebody experienced what I'm going through? And if you're thinking nobody has, read through the Psalms until you find somebody has. When we do that, we're joining our life to the promises, the graces, the commands of God. Now that'll be a lifetime skill to grow in because there's so much scripture, but we'll probably have the gist of it and we just need to start looking. So one, identify the trouble. Two, try and connect that trouble to something in scripture. And then ask a friend to pray with you and for you. So under that heading, um, Psalm 62 verse 8, sometimes I find it hard to even pray for difficult things in my life. Can I ask you to pray for me that I know deeply in my heart that God cares and invites me to pour my heart out to him? Wouldn't that be a great prayer to pray? You're struggling, you find it hard to pray, but you know Psalm 62 verse 8 says, pour your heart out to him. So you go to someone and say, could you help me to do that? It just feels so alien. I, I, I don't really know how to do it. Or with 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 in hand, we have this treasure in jars of clay. You could say to a friend, look, I've been sick for a while and I get so discouraged. Could you pray that I'd be able to turn quickly to Jesus and value the treasure of the gospel? and be encouraged not to resent the clay-like nature of my body. Do you see how scripture's connecting to trouble? And then you're asking someone to pray for you. Or with runaway thoughts, waking you in the middle of the night and sleep very hard to come by. Colossians 3, verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Okay, I'm struggling to sleep. My mind goes to 101 different things. You're my friend who I'm sharing this with. Could you please pray for me? I'm not sleeping well. Could you pray that when I do wake up, I can choose to set my mind on who I am in Christ more than who and what I fear? Wouldn't that be good? And maybe it's, I just don't know how to pray. Well, ask others to pray with you and for you to make the connections perhaps between whatever it is your need is and God's word. It's God's will that we say help please to him and to others. And as we do that, we'll be taking an important step towards being able to help others since needy, humble helpers are the best kind of help. What's the opposite of humility? It's pride, it's self-sufficiency, it's believing I don't need what God has provided me with and putting my trust in someone else or something else that is not the God who made me and saved me. So please don't hear me saying it's no good asking for medical help. No, please do. Listen to your friends when they say, have you been to a doctor? Too often pride gets in the way of getting any help. And do pray. Scripture is full of God, patiently humbling the proud and giving them one more chance. Bringing low the lofty. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble.
So could it be that a full surrender towards God is the next step to take? Especially for any of us suffering in any way. Be completely humble. And with humility, gentleness. To read on a bit in Ephesians 4 verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love. Or With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. And for the worked example of gentleness, par excellence, of course, we need to turn to Jesus. So could you turn back to Matthew 11, 28 to 30? I'll read it in the ESV. find it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus tells us what is most true of him, when he says out loud what characterizes his every thought and word and action, what words does he use? He says, I am gentle and humble in heart or lowly. Jesus is gentle. He isn't trigger happy. He isn't harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. His most natural posture isn't a pointed finger, but it's open arms. And humble of heart means he is accessible. For all his glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in all of human history has been more approachable than Jesus. Isn't it great that uh, Matthew, unapproachable, everybody else, was given the opportunity to approach Jesus. And in those verses, he calls people weighed down, hurting, tired all the time, not to get well and then come to him, but to come to him as they are. In fact, it's precisely our being burdened which qualifies us to come. No payment required. No smartening up first. Just come. And he says, I'll give your soul rest. And that rest is a gift, not a transaction. Free, not earned. So gentle and humble of heart is who Jesus says in his own words. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. And rest for our souls is what he offers. This isn't a life free of pain or hardship. It is possible, as Paul is in Ephesians, to be in a physically dark and very hostile place and still have your soul at rest. I don't know if you have that struggle. I'm I'm just describing a mental health agony, frustration, illness. Until that's sorted, I cannot have my soul at rest. The logic seems to go together. But Jesus is saying, and Ephesians is saying, you can. You can be in a very dark place and have your soul at rest because you've come to me. 
You don't have to wait till you're fixed. No, you are loved who you are as you are. Um, Jesus isn't promising here the removal of a thorn or the lifting of a persistent depression, much as we may feel that's what we need most. No, to those who come to him weary and burdened, he is promising rest for their souls while they are weary and burdened. So on a website, you go to a church that says about us and the drop-down menu, you basically, who are we and what do we believe? Well, Jesus' drop-down about him menu has these two words, gentle, humble. And if that's him, how much more should we seek to have that description increasingly fit us? We say and we pray, make me more like Jesus. Well then, pray this, make me more gentle, make me more humble. And when it comes to relating to others who are struggling, may those characteristics be the first things that I display. May gentleness and humility be more and more what people encounter when they get to know us. May they be what Cornerstone is known for among yourselves and whenever you face outwards to the world. What might it look like, practically? Some ideas. Move towards others. Jesus moved towards Matthew, didn't he? Wonderful illustration of that in that little film we just saw. Jesus came to seek and to save. He made the first move. His mercy and compassion drew him towards those who were astray and had their backs turned to him. He took the initiative towards those in need. He wasn't repelled, but drawn. Will that be us? We might risk being repelled and humiliated as we move towards people, but nonetheless, we will move towards them. We will take the step to go and sit down with them, to go and visit them to ask them how they are. The spirit of Jesus working in someone will no longer look for the easiest person to talk to at church over a bacon roll, but will move towards the ones on the edge, the new person, the outlier. Imagine a group of people, and maybe this is you, it'd be wonderful it is, who move towards one another, active more than passive, loving more than fearing rejection. Too often we're silent, when we know of someone's trouble. And silence is often the same as turning your back. Jesus calls us a family, so we need to greet warmly. The Lord knows our names, so we'll learn other people's names. He knows the details of our lives. We'll take an interest in the details of other people's lives. So move towards people. Secondly, know the heart. Jesus is interested in our hearts. Someone asks you, and it's probably happened this morning, how are you? And you say, fine, and that's a pleasant enough greeting. But when someone says, how are you? And they put their phone down and they ask you to come and sit down in a chair and they look you straight in the eyes and wait. They're giving you time and they do want to know. Well, that's the beginning of a very different conversation, isn't it? First, you might say, in answer to that question, well... Here's what happened this week, here are the events. But we want our conversations to go below the surface. To know someone is to know what's important to them, what's on their heart. Perhaps a question that gets to that point. And those things are often veiled and they are difficult to know and our instinct, just because we're human, is to hide. 
But when we're willing to be a little more vulnerable and find that others handle our hearts gently and humbly and with care, we'll discover that knowing and being known are part of God's good design. Now, trust takes time. Our hearts run deep. But there is treasure in our hearts for which we must search. Remember, our hearts are where our affections, our wants, our desires live, the things that are important to us, and they're important to the Lord. So remember, he asks us to pour out our hearts to him. And as we do, he'll hear and he is moved. He responds with compassion and kindness and reminders of past faithfulness and pointers to hope for the future. And if that's the way Jesus responds, that's the way we're to respond to others too. Listening tracking with a person's emotions. What have been the highlights of your day? What's been hard? And just beneath our natural desires are our moral desires, the ones that set a spiritual course for our lives. And when we get deeper still, when we look closer, we find that our hearts can be upright, clean, penitent, pure, or hard, proud, and stained. Now we may be hardly aware of it, but all our life is lived either towards or away from God. Our hearts are always up to something. God is calling us to know him through Jesus and we'll respond in one of two ways. Either we'll want to know him and come to him and respond to him and speak with him or we'll turn away and attach ourselves to our other gods and kingdoms that we think are more valuable. We'll trust him or we'll trust in ourselves. We'll turn towards him or away from him. And we do this minute by minute, not just once off. So to help one another wisely, we need to understand that there are influences on our lives, the church around us, the people, the family we live in, the work we do, the culture we're in. There are circumstances that are particular to each person. Take an interest in those. Where do you come from? What was your family attitude to dot, dot, dot? What's it like at work? And we need to be ready to talk about suffering, which will mean lots of listening. We'll need to talk about sin, which will mean lots of humility. We know that it's a struggle we all have. No one is sinless. So don't be ashamed to bring up the topic. And we need each other's help. As with suffering, we will offer help very carefully and gently and humbly. So to live out the gospel of Christ and the power of God is the church's role. Paul in Ephesians 4 admits this is not easy. Remember he's talking about unity and he therefore says, verse 3, eager, or in the old NIV, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Every effort, eager, that is a sweaty description. Hard work, time-consuming, energy-sapping, but purposeful, intentional. So let's not think the gospel will just apply itself to our lives if we turn up for an hour on a Sunday morning. That churches will function with the gentleness and humility of Jesus with just a one hit in the week. They won't. We need to work at these things. We need to be humble enough to ask help from God and from one another. And we need to be gentle enough that when that help is asked for from us, we will listen listen patiently and be prepared to expend effort. And there'll be a time when connecting with the struggle with scripture and praying with one another, that'll be the next step to take. 
We are each precious individuals made in God's image, embodied hearts. So I urge you, as I was urging our church family, let's not live solitary lives with barriers up, hiding from God and hiding from each other. As Jesus has drawn us to himself by faith, he's put us in local churches. Every part, everyone in this building is here because God intended you to be. And as you join, you become the very visible body of believers that by its humility and gentleness is a beautiful display of God's glory to the world. I don't know if you thought about evangelism. The most evangelistic thing you can do is be a body of believers like this together who love one another. So some sort of systematic things. Skirting the edges of a real struggle many have with mental ill health. May I urge us all to live lives worthy of the calling we've received. And when it comes to walking alongside one another in suffering, not least mental ill health, might complete humility and gentleness be our watchwords. Jesus be our example and him be the rest for the soul which we long for. Might the humility and gentleness of Jesus be the experience we all have from other Christians and that we can then model to one another. I'd love to pray, but I also love to do what we do at Christchurch, if that's okay with you, is to ask if there are things by way of encouragement or application that it would be helpful for others to hear from the floor. It'd be great for you to raise a hand and suggest those, or if there are questions about Ephesians 4 or about this whole topic, just for two or three minutes before the children come back, we could have a go at that. I think if you ask the question, I'll repeat it for the microphone. And, um, and, uh, but let me pray first. Father in heaven, in a broken world where so much feels like struggle, we praise you for the safe haven of a living church family where this practice of being brothers and sisters in Christ, able to ask for help, to pray with one another, and to humbly and gently give the help that we can, you provided us with something precious. May we treasure it, and may the way in which we talk to one another and pray with one another reflect the gentleness and humility of Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen.